You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast. Where you'll get proven strategies to start and grow your online business from in the trenches digital entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurignited.com. Launch your online business. Live your dreams. Now, here's your host, Derek Gale. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, a podcast designed to skip the hype, skip the BS, bring you real entrepreneurs with real actionable tips and strategies to help you grow your digital businesses. This is your host, Derek Gale, and today we're going to be diving deep into entrepreneurship and what it really takes to become a successful entrepreneur and to share their immense entrepreneurial wisdom today, our guest is a self-made serial entrepreneur and a best-selling author who, at a very young age, had created really massive success, both in the corporate world and then in his own three businesses that now gross over $40 million annually. And uh, you know, through his incredible journey as an entrepreneur, he's developed a pretty unique perspective on success and entrepreneurship. And it's a perspective perspective he shared in his latest book, The Third Circle Theory, which focuses on a unique roadmap to achieving a higher level of of self-awareness, leveraging the power of entrepreneurship. So uh, without further ado, I'm honored to welcome Pejman Gadimi to the show. Pejman, thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate it, Eric. Now, before we get started, can you take a few minutes and just expand on my introduction and more specifically, share your journey as an entrepreneur? And I'd really love it for you if you'd start at the very beginning so our listeners really understand, like, you know, literally where you came from, the challenges you've overcome, and and the scope of success that you've created in your life. So I'll try to make it as, as quick as I can because even that might take like 15 minutes. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> because we've been through a lot, man. <laughs> I hear you. But long story short, I was born in Iran and uh, actually migrated to uh, France as a result of the revolution. Uh, came from uh, a mom and, and a father who were pretty affluent in that country. Uh, and when, when I actually fleed uh, Iran to go to France with my mom, we were left with nothing. So we had to start all over. Uh, due to revolution, so no money, no nothing, and uh, skills for her that didn't matter anymore being in a new country with a new roadmap to how the economy worked. And so, you know, we she established herself in France for about 10 years just on her on hopes to come to the United States one day. And once again, 10 years later, is granted a visa, and we end up in the States uh, after a, a good 10-year attempt of getting here. So once we get here, once again, no money, no cash, nothing. Uh, because we have to leave it all behind in order to come here illegally, meaning that we come on a visa, but we're not really allowed to stay, so we can't take everything with us. Uh, we make it here only to once again be faced with more adversity, with the idea that now we're trying to set up a restaurant just to get a green card, and it fails miserably. All of our last of money is gone. I'm 14 years old. We're very poor, and uh, I decide to start working, but yet again, I have no green card, so I can't really work. Uh, it was a time where I always said I would have begged for a job at McDonald's. Uh, and I couldn't uh, do anything until one day I was in high school and uh, I found two people who were offering customer service jobs. Very seemed like a very black and white thing. I didn't speak English very, very well, but still was able to hold a conversation. I decided, you know what? I can answer phones. Why not? And I'm going to try it. And hopefully this company is small enough. They're not going to question uh, you know, the fact that I don't have uh, a green card because I had a social, but it wasn't valid for work. 
So if there's immigrants listening to this, you know, I feel you struggle. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, so that became kind of a, a, a really lucky thing that I was able to get a school permit and work at that one in organization that was a telemarketing organization. But I quickly learned the art of sale at the age of 14 and went from making $12 an hour to $2,500 a week selling siding, roofing and uh, all types of remodeling gigs for homes. Uh, it took about a year or so of practicing, but I actually got the gist of it pretty well and made myself uh, all the way up to director of that company by the age of 18. So I was managing you know, sales staff, I was managing service calls and just about everything in between. And I was a small company, like moderately a $5 million under company a year. So it just, uh, it, it was a good experience, very, very young. Uh, I decided to go to school after, but I always sucked in, in, in high school and I decided to go to uh, college and so I needed a new job. I decided to let my job go even though I was making great money by the age of 18 and going into banking. First, because I wanted to learn finance. Secondly, because I thought it was more flexible with hours. My other job required me to work late nights. And so in this particular case, I could, the bank would close at four, you know, uh, it just made sense. And so, uh, I went and applied for a bank manager position uh, at the age of 18 and, uh, through a very interesting interview, I was actually granted this uh, privilege. And so I, w I became the youngest bank manager uh, of any Fortune 500 bank in the United States at the age of 18. And then uh, through my career in banking by the age of 23, uh, I was an executive vice president for that same bank. Uh, by the age of 25, I found myself fired uh, because I was a very cocky and uh, unique individual that didn't fit very well with other people. Uh, and so I was kind of forced into small business ownership. Uh, I then founded uh, Secret Consulting, which at the time was selling uh, sales and service models and training models for banks. Sold it to uh, three of the larger competitors of my bank once I got fired. Uh, it was a year of challenge and struggle and grew that company after three years uh, to revolving between four to four and a half million in revenue uh, each year. Now, very early on when I was 14, when I was working at a telemarketing job, I also had created like side income for myself by creating a very small mobile car wash business. Uh, what that was is I just had a, f a few friends who were also not legal to work at the time. And uh, they, you know, they were like, oh, we want jobs too, where, you know, where you're getting jobs. And uh, the, the big problem was I didn't want them to get a job there because I didn't want anybody to know I was illegal, you know. I was like, that's going to look really bad if I'm bringing all these like little Latino friends, you know, and they're not like kids. I was like, that's, even though I was 14, I was like, this doesn't look good. You know, my friends that don't have papers. So, so I was like, you know what, that's not going to work. So I came up with this idea. I said, why don't I just go to Kinko's, make some flyers, and I'll put them up because we're in a big building and there was no car. So I'll put them up in the building. I'm working phones all day. So I, I had a cell phone. I had one of those giant cell phones, you know, the, the ones that were first coming out by Nokia. Uh -huh. And yeah, and so I had one of those and I told people, uh, I was like, well, they'll call me and I'll book you. And since you're already in the building because we'll drive here together, then we'll just have you guys wait. And when, whoever wants to wash a car, we'll have you guys wash the car. And so we, we worked out something with the landlord. We said, can we use your hose? And we'll just move the cars to the side and wash them. So all day, these guys were washing like five, $10 you know, car wash jobs. Uh, and they were making something, which was better than nothing. We used to split the money. But years later, like I kind of gave up on that because, you know, I was a banker and I had a lot of prestige in my job. I didn't want to be seen as a car wash guy or whatever. So I kind of left it to my friend to do that until I, I got fired. When I got fired, I went back and revisited this business and said, well, 
at that time, they had expanded to doing some custom work on cars, repairing cars, and also doing, you know, still detailing, et cetera. And so I, I decided to kind of get back in the business and, and offer them a very unique alternative, which was I would literally own the entire business, even though they had been the ones building it. But I would take it to a completely new angle of offering people more of a, of a high-end tuning ground rather than, you know, fixing up basically random people's cars and Mustangs and stuff, we would be fixing up Porsches, Ferraris, and Lamborghinis. And I had a lot of success in banking very early. I had a great salary. And so I was able to afford these cars myself, which gave me a unique angle on marketing at the time because not a lot of young people were. So I would be able to walk up to people and as an owner, offer suggestions on who should do the work, someone who actually owns one rather than someone who doesn't. And so, you know, that became uh, a business that became like a car shop, nothing more than a tuning shop. Uh, and in 2005, uh, was when that business took a very interesting turn when I decided to sell watches. I started deciding to sell high-end watches to the same people, uh, and I grew that business. At the time, it was doing nothing more than two, three hundred k in revenue, and we grew it to over seven million just because of our watch presence. And so that became a huge deal. And I decided that why just watches? Why stop there? Why not just be a full concierge and give people access to exotic cars and everything in between that we're already in the world of? Uh, it took an interesting turn because I used my finance background to do something rather unique. I didn't want to be a car salesman. I never really enjoyed the industry, even though I knew how to sell a car. I decided that what I would do instead is I would offer the world's first opportunity for people to make an investment in an exotic car without the burden. They would buy a car, except they would really invest in my company. I would own the car that they're investing in. I would hold it, keep it, and then resell it for them, knowing what the trends of the market were doing. So to give you a very brief overview, someone would buy or want to buy a car that brand new is 200K, but because it's unavailable and in low demand or it's brand new on the market and people can't get it, it would be retailing for 400 to 500K in its first year. Knowing that and having connections in the industry, I was able to get such a car for 200. I would sell it to an investor for 300, make 100 off the car immediately. This is even before the car even exists. So are you following me? Yeah, I'm totally following it. Fascinating. <laughs> So making 100K, right? And then immediately taking in that investment and saying, I can sell this car for 400. So you're going to make 100K the minute the car comes out. But I just have to hold your 300K the whole time being. Get it? Yep. So we would hold that, that money for about a year or so before the car came out, sell the car. Client made 100. We made 100 on a car we never funded. So I started doing that. We all, and all we became was really a giant storage facility with massive security and watches and everything in between. And that business later became VIP motoring. Uh, it became my biggest business uh, to date in terms of revenue. Uh, and when I say revenue, not necessarily net profit, but revenue. And uh, it became a really interesting business because I started creating a lot of a lot of connections in the lifestyle industries. I had clients all over from Dubai to Europe who wanted cars that didn't exist or didn't come out yet and that we had access to. So we started becoming a really well-known source not, not only to get really exclusive cars, but also to create an investment opportunity for everybody that was willing to partake in that before others bought those exclusive cars. So that business kind of grew and that, that was the one at its peak actually, that business uh, reached over $55 million in revenue, but actually fell back down a few years later when we restructured once more. So I had Secret Consulting, which after the bank gig became more of a digital branding agency where we build websites and apps. Uh, and then furthermore, I had VIP motoring, which today I still own both businesses, but 
appointed as CEO in uh, 2011 to both companies and ended up focusing all my time on secretentourage.com, uh, which was my first digital kind of uh, get in the space uh, business. And that business is really where I've decided to leverage all my past resources of IT and web. So I had a team that would build that. And then also had this other opportunity to have these thousands and tens of thousands of clients that are all in the luxury lifestyle and decided to create a website about entrepreneurship and business, which originally focused on bringing forward the stories of those who live a very lavish lifestyle if they were self-made. So we started that way and eventually grew as a blog and publication into uh, a giant academy, which today features 200 plus of some of the best known entrepreneurs out there, uh, as well as uh, as a platform has become a publishing platform for books, which has also published my own book, Third Circle Theory through it. Uh, and it has just been an incredible journey of discovering the online space of how to market, how to bring the brand to life. And today that has expanded into multiple other online digital properties, which I own uh, around the exotic car space, as well as the finance and credit repair space. Uh, and a lot of lead gen uh, around banks as well. So that's kind of like the brief of the journey. And here we are today with you and having a conversation about it. <laughs> what, what an incredible journey and, and not at all linear through one industry. I mean, I, I love how it's just you followed this path through numerous different seemingly unrelated uh, businesses, but there's been, but they're not unrelated. There's been a there's been a clear path through them. But you've you've had a I guess let's call it a level of awareness to see the opportunities that exist. That I think so many people are o- overlooking the opportunities are there. They're just not seeing them. So let's now dive into the third circle theory. Um, you know, I picked up a copy. I started reading it the other night. It's not just another business book. I mean, I've read countless business books. This is, this is very different. Uh, I, I figured out this goes much deeper than the traditional how to be an entrepreneur. So let's start at the beginning. You know, what inspired you to write this book? And then let's dig a little deeper into the third circle theory for our listeners. So, so the book itself is very unique, like you said, and it actually came about when I had already written uh, eight previous books, uh, nine to be exact. One of them was an ebook only. So I had written, you know, nine books total, and I just couldn't figure out why my books weren't like super successful. I was like, "There's really good content in these books. I don't know why they people aren't buying them as much as I'd want them to, anyways." And so I I came to the conclusion that perhaps there's so many books out there talking about how to do things and what is good to be done, you know, like for your life, you should do this. If you want to be financially successful, if you want to be an entrepreneur, follow these principles kind of thing. And, And I really thought to myself, I said, there's so many books about stuff, but what has been the one thing that has allowed me to be extremely successful regardless of whatever I do? And I've come to realize that that is about my deeper understanding of people and how to get them to uncover and unlock their potential. During my corporate career, I took many chances where I hired people off the streets with no experience. Uh, a perfect example would be a certain gentleman uh, who, is a, who has just come to my office with a t-shirt uh, for an interview. He was a parkometer maid, and he wanted to become a bank teller. Uh, over three years, I was able to coach him and mold him uh, into becoming the uh, executive vice president for the business banking team of that same bank I used to run uh, with no education or anything further. And I myself never had an education either uh, past high school. And so one of the key things was 
what was it about that process that just allowed that person to bind to it and really push it while so many others are hungry for success but do nothing about it? Correlating all this to all these patterns uh, and just all of these people I've helped through all the years in corporate America, small business, uh, or, or even just you know working with them as peers, not necessarily as their supervisors or as someone above them or as a coach, I, I kind of look back at that and, and I've asked myself, I said, my mom made all these sacrifices to bring us to the US. That had to mean something bigger and better than just making more money for me than she was making back in the day. So I said, all of that has to meet somewhere. So I started analyzing my life and came up that I guess my talents or what made me really successful is just that, is the ability to uncover people's potential. And I looked back at all the things I had done to do so, and I found that there was a pattern in the way I did that. And so it was this drawing of these three circles that I have on the cover of the book. Uh, And in short, these three circles are the mastery of circumstance, the mastery of society, and the mastery of life. Three very different things, but three things that every single human being goes through when they are growing up to gain what they believe to be their awareness. Now, you see, most people confuse awareness with self-awareness. They believe that if you're very aware, then that means that you're very self-aware, which is completely untrue. You see, I define awareness as someone's ability to be alert and understanding of their environment. I define self-awareness as someone who's very alert and capable of understanding not only what their environment is, but how their environment responds to them. And as a result, is able to manipulate their environment to create outcomes they wish for. So it's a very unique perspective on awareness, but it's also one that when you understand the three circles and the theory behind how circumstance is born, how society is mastered, and how or where people feel fulfillment, passion, and these things come from, you're able to gauge in your life, almost like a roadmap, where do you fit in and where are you missing or what are you missing, should I say, that enables you to graduate into that next circle and into that next phase of your life and ultimately allows you to continuously pursue a, a greater version of yourself. And I, I, this may sound a little philosophical or may sound uh, almost boring to a lot of young people at first, but when you read the book, I've written it in a way using the same principles that have helped all of those people previous uh, to people listening today that is able to come together in a manner that is self-reflective. And so in the book, you won't find a lot of things about my life or bragging about my life or telling you how I've done this or that. Uh, in reality, there's actually only one page about my life and there's only five pages about the idea of money, which people believe that you know is so important uh, in the quest of business. But really, money is, is the byproduct of who you are. And so I teach people how to become a better person so that they have a better understanding of the world they live in and the environment they live in and the society they live in so that they can learn to actually control all their actions instead of be a byproduct of their environment. Okay, so let's dig into that. And, and when, you, when you're teaching people, let's, let's – I mean self-awareness um, – I, I we talked about this briefly before the call, and and I said to you, I think every every really massively successful entrepreneur that has created not just one success, but is able to just consistently grow, create, and and succeed, um, they have an incredible level of self awareness. That's been my observation. Um, but how do you take somebody that may not have that level, or may not even be close to that level, 
and and create that level of self awareness. You know, give give us an example of of one of the things uh, that you would you would take people through to create that level. I will give you the simplest thing that's actually in the book. It's it's a paragraph in the book that hopefully will resonate with listeners today. Most people consider most people because most people are not successful. Most people are unsuccessful. That's the problem. So we got to fix that. Uh, and what I, what I mean by that is most people look at their lives as uh, focused on they've made a choice and that choice had an outcome, meaning everything they do in life, they look backwards on and they determine like, oh, I chose to get married. Well, I got divorced six years later. That was a bad choice. Uh, so what they do is they try to look back at choices in order to identify why outcomes happen so they can make better choices in the future. That's, that's the best way to shift the blame away from yourself and blame your past for it. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. If, if most unsuccessful people feel that way, most successful people will add one word to that same equation. Instead of saying choices equal outcomes, they'll say choices plus actions equal outcomes. And so now the blame goes back to the action part, which took place on you, which allows you to actually identify which actions you've taken in your life that have actually led to that outcome, meaning the same choice could actually lead to a positive outcome if the right actions are in place. So an unsuccessful person would say, I started a business, it failed, I'm not starting a business again, that was a waste of time. Mm -hmm. A successful person would say, I started a business, I made the wrong, I took the wrong steps, I made the wrong moves during the business, it failed. The choice of starting a business had no negative quotation, my actions were wrong. Allow me to make the same choice with better actions, create an alternative outcome. So a, a human being can then understand that the idea of choice is only as valid as the actions of the individual himself and therefore puts the blame back in their control. The idea of success comes from the idea of being in control, not being controlled. Meaning if you're controlled by your environment, then you're gonna fail. If you're controlling your environment, then you're going to learn to get yourself out of every bad situation and put yourself and position yourself for success every single time. Because opportunities exist all around us every single day for every single person. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. same ones exist for everybody. The only difference between someone who is very aware and someone who's not is they're able to see them because they're able to relate their past experience and their skill and their capacity to identifying such opportunity. The same opportunity exists in front of two same people, but both people are not seeing the same opportunity from the same angle, and sometimes one person doesn't even see it to begin with. We have to train the mind to learn how to think for itself so that it understands how its environment works enough to identify such opportunities. Hopefully, that's kind of explained the idea of the difference. Yeah, and I, I think uh, this goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago when I said your your path through business has not been... I mean, you've seen opportunities where other people won't. So obviously, this has been a very effective uh, process for you. And, and that, that being said, you know, when you were going through this process, when you came up with it, how did you come up with this? When did you become aware of it? And what triggered you to this? Well, I think, I think the main thing that, that I've always questioned has always been, you know, like myself, I've always questioned purpose. Mm-hmm. I've never understood. I've always wanted money. I was very poor, like personally. You know, my, my, my mom did well, but then got poor. 
So I never really got a taste of that affluent lifestyle until I earned it for myself. And, and one of the things that, that kind of caught me or kept catching up with me is that I kept buying nice stuff. Like very young, I had a Lamborghini, Ferrari, and you know, I had my houses very young and I did well in, in many things I did. And it always led to more money. But there was a time where more money didn't lead to more happiness. And there was a time where more money didn't even lead to better stuff. Because I was like, a Ferrari is not better than a Lamborghini. It's just different. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, it's not like necessarily just increasing, you know. And, and I was like, my house had like five bedrooms. I was like, I don't really need eight bedrooms. I'm a single guy, you know. Like, I, it didn't make sense. <laughs> so I was like, what's the point of upgrading everything? every time just because you're trying to do what show your neighbor you got more money and i was like what's the point because you have reached a level of satisfaction monetarily mm -hmm. but then the question is is life about just satisfaction and that's when i started thinking about the idea of purpose and fulfillment and i started thinking that if if this idea holds true that society and life are two different things and they're not necessarily, they're, they're related, but they're not the same exact thing. You can be very successful in society and not successful in life. We've seen this from people who make a lot of money and never find personal happiness. And we find people who find a lot of personal happiness and never find a lot of great success in money. Mm -hmm. So I started relating the patterns as to what happens in those individuals, you know? And, and I started thinking to myself and I said, therefore, if money is the measure of success in society, because that's how society perceives success, is the more money you make, it's a man-made currency, mm -hmm. you know, for success, then what is the, the currency for life? And so I've started kind of analyzing people that I knew, people that I, I looked up to, that I felt were like great entrepreneurs, and not just entrepreneurs, very successful in their right, both on the side of society, and as well as in the other side, which was, you know, I saw this, this difference in entrepreneurs versus very successful businessman. And I started putting two and two together and I realized that perhaps the idea of success in life has to do with entrepreneurship but isn't about entrepreneurship. Perhaps entrepreneurship is a tool to create resourcefulness within an individual that leads them to a higher level of control in their environment because they learn to build something from nothing. So therefore the key to fulfillment has to be somewhat interrelated to the idea of entrepreneurship. And, and I started looking into the idea of purpose, where passion comes from, how people make a, a, a big mistake to confuse love for passion, you know, like love being just something you care about and passion being something you choose to do something about that you actually care about. So the action piece was always the element that differentiated success from failure. And so I kind of categorized action in the terms of circumstance, society, and life and how it evolves based on age and based on circumstance and based on previous uh, monetary record and based on previous family backgrounds and all of these things. And I was able to systemize it to just 200 pages, which originally my book was actually 500 plus pages. And, and I trimmed it to a level that would not necessarily talk about all of these things because that's like information overload, but rather systemize it in a way that would allow people to peek on each of these core principles that make a person successful and allow them time to self-reflect. Mm -hmm. Many people who have actually read the book tell me, I read two thirds of it and I stopped. And I said, why'd you stop? They're like, well, I stopped because once I realized how effective just the first circle part was, 
I knew that I didn't even need to know about the second circle to know what I needed to correct about myself before reading on. And so they went back and, you know, decided to take action even before reading the book in full, which was great, you know, and, and I, I attribute a lot of the success of the book to, to just that core idea as well. Interesting. Okay, so let's take a step back. So, I mean, you were, so you started off, You your purpose initially was to make money. You had a monetary goal, and, and uh, I think that's where a lot of people start off in business. I, I, don't, think, I don't think that was my purpose, though. I no? think that was, what I wanted more than anything was not to be poor. Because I had tried being poor, mm. I never knew what it was to be rich, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a banker, I didn't want to be a telemarketer, I didn't want to be in the car business, and I didn't want to be in the consulting game. What I did know that drove me all through these changes was the fact that I knew I didn't want to be poor. Yes. And this is something a lot of listeners can perhaps you know, relate with, is they may not have an idea, they may not have like, an, like a concept of what their career should look like, what job they should want, or what they want to do in the next 10 years, but if they know they don't want to be poor, then not doing shit is going to make them poor. You know what I mean? So, so if you know you don't want that, then do the opposite of not doing shit. Do a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. Okay, so now you're no longer poor, right? So no, that's, been, that's been done since I was 23 years old. Since you were 23 years old. So how has your purpose shifted now? Like, Give us, a, give us a, a look into your purpose today. How has it changed? So when I was 27, my purpose shifted from making money to creating change. And so today with Third Circle Theory, I'm a big believer that that book is going to change the way younger generations think and affect the shift in the self-education space. By people having more awareness and self-awareness, they're able to make better decisions for their lives and follow with better action. So I'm a big believer that the book holds a, a significant part of my purpose in life. The other segment is I'm also a believer that in my age, I did not have access to a wide variety of mentors. I was fortunate not, however, to have incredible guidance from a wonderful mother who genuinely gave up everything in her life to make sure that I was, well, you know, I, I was someone who had a high level uh, of capacity to be able to undertake life. And uh, I also had a lot of great people in my banking career who made sure that they took an extra second to explain how things work or help me as I was very ambitious, very young. And so I've always said, what would be greater than to be able to help others experience life the way I had, which was where I believe a lot of my skills in both having had my resources in IT and the luxury lifestyle and something really unique that I had through all these years is every time I shared with people why they should be better, I just had this charismatic way of doing it mm -hmm. and, and this lifestyle that kind of inspired them to do it. And so I believe that all of these things didn't happen at random. Mm -hmm. You know, I believe that even though I wasn't a car fanatic and having Lamborghinis that still evoke that personal inspiration can happen for others. You know, so I, I kind of understood that perhaps linking back all the dots in my life, uh, my life was meant for more than just doing one thing and doing it really well forever. Mm -hmm. And so I decided the best way to reach the masses was to get online. And with no online skills, you know, no like online marketing skills, and no idea on how to monetize a website, a, a conversion, or some of these things that I'm sure you talk a lot about with, with guests on your show, I, I was just able to, to kind of get in this space and allowed just my resourcefulness, my relationships, and the great network of people I had around me to allow this platform called Secret Entourage 
to bring back a lot of that value to young people. And, and by not only providing them education, self-education on entrepreneurship, bringing them incredible mentors, uh, giving them the, the gift of the, the idea of third circle theory. And then also the, the best part about it is our, our, my passion has shifted to enabling other people who were in my situation back then who did not have money, who would have loved to learn the opportunity to learn by allowing Secret Entourage to fund a very special project, which me and you talked about before kind of this call, mm -hmm. uh, on helping bring entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial values to low to moderate income schools across the country. So the uh, – and, and actually just take a moment and elaborate on that because I'd love for people to hear more about exactly what's going on there with the third circle and because and, I, I – when you told me about it, it really resonated. So just take a minute and explain how, how this is expanding and what your vision is for that. Certainly. So I have to somehow kind of keep certain borderlines because we are still expanding that model. But okay. uh, I'll, give, I'll give a much better view to your audience. We, we, I've always believed that, that schools that are low to moderate income uh, in areas that don't have funding and don't have opportunity have a huge gap between the time the student leaves the school and the time they go home. Uh, and, and I believe that a big piece to, to people who are successful and don't sway away into drugs, gangs, or other you know, things of the sort comes from this huge idea that they have something to do. Uh, and so therefore, they don't have, they're not bored. When you're bored, you have nothing to do, and you're not making money, so you don't have fun things to do at home, you tend to look for other things to do, which is why gangs, drugs, and things seem interesting at a young age, because they give you a feel of social belonging to something when you're home by yourself and you don't belong to anything. And so this, this, this has been something that I've always wanted to kind of fix. And I, my belief was that with this gift of third circle theory and secret Rush, we're able to go into, into these low to moderate income schools and apply after school programs uh, that will enable people to have something to do after uh, school between that time where typically parents get home and the time people leave high school uh, at, at an early age. So it gives us a unique opportunity to keep not only people entertained, but also to a level educate them on principles that they typically would not be exposed to until five to 10 years later and, and give them this knowledge early to enhance their awareness and also prevent them from looking for these other opportunities like drugs, gangs, and other things. And so this has kind of become the, a program we've, we've piloted uh, and we've worked on since 09, uh, Secret Entourage launched in 07 and 09, we started piloting this program. It didn't really take shape until later in, in 11 and, and 12, but now it's, it's well underway. And uh, by next year, it'll give birth to yet another, uh, another entity that we believe to be a great change in, uh, in the way America's, I would say, education system works. That's amazing, and I, you know, I, I love what you're doing there. Um, so that's why I want to make sure all the listeners were aware of this. And I know it's in its kind of it's in, in its infancy, but something to keep an eye on. Now, before we wrap up, I, there's one more area I want to dive into, and that's the um, area of self education. Something I know you're a big proponent of, being uh, a key to growth. So let's dig a little deeper. You know, from your perspective, what what does self education mean, and what role does that play as an entrepreneur? Self-education is selective education, meaning it's, it's what you choose uh, to learn. It's what you choose to go after, what you seek to learn, rather than what's given to you to or forced and natural to learn. 
I think that uh, I think one of the core principles I share in Third Circle again is is one of the problems with society is we teach everybody very young uh, forced learning. So we don't teach them self education. We teach them formal education. The, the point of the education system is to give people a baseline on how to survive within its system. So a lot of people, when they say, well, I went to school, I didn't, that didn't do anything for me. It's because you misunderstood the idea of going to school. That's why you actually didn't do anything the right way to actually make it count. Uh, so so when, when we're forced very young to learn over time, we're always given what to learn, what to learn, what to learn. Now, that's not the problem. The more learning, the better, the more people need to know things. And the more diverse the learning, even the better the ability to seek out opportunities later. But here's the problem. Early on, we are given a reward structure to the learning, meaning that every time we, we're given this idea of graduating, we're given this idea of getting a diploma, getting a job, making money as a result of the learning. How many people learn the stock market just to learn it? Almost none. Everybody learns it, wants to apply it immediately, go make money. So the idea of learning and reward goes hand to hand. And, and the problem is that as a result of that, we create this narrow vision that prevents us from actually identifying new opportunities because every time we learn something, we're in this quest for an instant reward based on the learning. And the idea of changing your mind to how you learn is that you should learn for the sake of just learning. Because learning, when you're self-learning, when you're seeking education, you're taking the content in seriously, you're learning the process. You're not just learning what you're told to learn for the sake of earning that reward. You're caring about what you're learning. And what that does is it enhances your awareness because it now makes you capable of identifying things within what you learned. Meaning that if, if you don't understand the, the stock market, at no given time will you be able to identify a missing opportunity within the stock market, let alone be very successful in playing stocks. So even if you don't want to play stocks or don't like playing stocks, it's fine. Nobody, not everybody should be an investment banker, but everybody should at least understand how stock, the stock market works. Why? Because the stock market is a very important part of how society works. And if you don't understand how these concepts work, how can you identify opportunities within them? Same for the education system, same for everything around new businesses and new ventures, which is... The whole idea of, you know, Secret Entourage when we created it was to give people a glimpse of self-education in various industries so that they're able to maybe pique their interest enough to want to further the knowledge on the industry. And we believe that if the knowledge comes from a person that is accredited who have had a high level of success in that industry, then it is what we call practical knowledge, meaning it is real knowledge, not knowledge that has been forced down someone's throat. So the education is once again coming from a place where someone else self-educated themselves. And so, you know, I think the core of everything I'm about is always, instead of looking at what's in front of us, let's identify where the problem was before us and, and take a step back and correct that problem so it can lead to a better future tomorrow. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. So now before we wrap things up, cause we're, we're running out of time here. I, I want to make sure that our listeners have the ability to connect with you to, uh, keep up with you um, and explore more of what you're doing. So where are, where do they need to go to connect with you, to get a hold of your books? Cause I mean, you've written, as you said, nine books. Uh, where do they find out more? So the, the obviously my website is www.pejmangadimi.com. So just like my first and last name, 
there you can find all the information about all my companies and links to different things I do. For people that were listening to this, if you're interested in, in learning more about entrepreneurship and getting into this idea of third circle theory and what it can do for you, you can visit us at uh, www.secretentourage.com and you can uh, there you can visit our academy by just clicking the academy link, which also includes third circle theory, or just pick up the book at, by itself uh, at thirdcirclebook.com. And you know, if anybody wants to send me an email, I'm very easily accessible. I read every email. Unfortunately, I get a lot of them, so I do my best to answer. I would say 90% of the emails I receive, even if the answer is short. Uh, I do recommend that uh, people reach out to me uh, via my website. I have a contact form on there. Uh, and so they can directly get in touch with me if they have a question, and I'd be glad to answer it. Fantastic. So uh, thank you so much, Pejman, for for sharing such so much immense entrepreneurial wisdom with our listeners today and i would encourage all of our listeners to uh to get a copy of your book especially you know i know i have a lot of listeners that are in early stages of business just starting down this road of becoming an entrepreneur and if you can get the mindset right if you can develop that level of self-awareness earlier on you're going to see success a lot faster uh you're going to it's going to be a lot more enjoyable experience along the way for sure so uh, again, thank you so much for being here today. No, my absolute pleasure, Derek. Fantastic. All right, everyone, that was serial entrepreneur and author Pejman Gadimi. And as always, any links mentioned in the interview will be included in the show notes along with the entire transcript of this episode. And you will find them all at entrepreneurignited.com forward slash podcast. And uh, again, if you like what you heard today, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Your feedback and uh, reviews. They're the fuel that give me the momentum and motivation to continue making this the best info-packed podcast for digital entrepreneurs. So now it's the time to take all of the tips, tools, and strategies you've learned here today and apply that final essential ingredient to making them work for you. And that ingredient is action. So uh, check out the website. Go get a copy of The Third Circle. Uh, Start applying those strategies to your life. Take action. And this is your host, Derek Gale signing off. Thanks for listening to another info-packed episode of the Entrepreneur Ignited podcast with Derek Gale. For links to all of the resources plus an entire transcript of this episode, go to entrepreneurignited.com slash podcast. Make sure you never miss another episode. Subscribe now on iTunes or SoundCloud.